Hello, friends, and welcome to the Word for the World podcast, preaching truth to heal the soul. Tonight, we're going to talk about Jonah and Armageddon. I know you're asking yourself these two questions. Number one, what does Jonah have to do with Armageddon? And number two, why should I care? Well, if you remember anything from Sunday school, you'll remember that Jonah was the guy who was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. And a lot of people don't remember why he's in the whale, except for that, uh, well, he is. But uh, if you take a look at the story, this tiny little book, it doesn't give us a whole lot of details, but it gives us just enough that we can see this um, lesson that God is trying to teach people and how we are supposed to conduct ourselves in the world. So if you go with me into Jonah, and we'll start in chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I want to stop here. Now, this is without any backstory whatsoever. We just jump right into this. And it says, God came and spoke to Jonah and said, go do this thing. So Jonah, hearing the word of the Lord and being a prophet, does exactly the opposite of what God says to do. He flees from the presence of God and goes the opposite way to another city so that he is not able or willing to do what God has told him to do. And I'm not going to focus very much on the Sunday school version of this story because we all know that God made a great storm come up on the sea while he was on the boat and it got all of the, the mariners really upset and the other people on the boat with him and they were scared and they were all praying to their gods and they come in and they find that Jonah is just fast asleep. And the, the captain comes in and says, what in the world are you doing? How, what do you, don't you understand? We're about to die here. And Jonah gets up and he says, you know, you, you need to get up and pray to your God so that we could maybe be delivered from this. And then Jonah all of a sudden understands why he's in this situation. And he tells them all why he's there and what he's done. And they all look at him and see what's interesting about this story is when you read it, you see that they are all praying to their own gods. They're not, uh, they're not talking to the God of Israel, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. But when he expresses to them what he has done, they're angry with him and they say, why have you done this? Didn't you know that your God was going to get you? So even though that Jonah kind of runs away and he's doing the opposite of what God has asked him to do, it's interesting to see because you start to understand that God is using this moment to show these men his glory, to show, him, show them that he is the one true God. So they throw Jonah overboard because they recognize that he's the reason for their troubles. And they throw Jonah overboard. Now, I don't think that it really ever explains too much 
But when they throw him overboard, the sea calms down. And everything is fine. So they start to see that, hey, this God has power. Truly. And God prepares this great fish to swallow Jonah up. Now, if you remember uh, these drawings of Jonah and the fish and the whale, you'll see this man, he's sitting inside the belly of this well, and you see the ribs of the whale, and, and you see he's sitting straight up, and he's got all of this room to, to walk around and ponder and all of this stuff. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a, a real whale up close, but uh, they're not that big. This isn't like the, the Pinocchio whale. So this is a very miserable time for Jonah. And you'll see that this is kind of a theme in this book, what happens to Jonah. And while he's in there, he starts crying out, you've cast me into the belly of hell, and, and, but you're hearing my voice. And he goes through all of these things, and he's praying to God. And in that, he comes to the point where God is sure that Jonah is going to do what he's told. So, while we're in this fish, we have to understand that he's cramped. And he talks about the seaweed that's wrapped around his head. It's not a comfortable time for him. You know, I know that sitting in the belly of a, a whale, even if it's really big, would be kind of a boring thing. But this is, this is pure torment that Jonah is going through. And it, it's not... It's not a good time. But one saving grace for Jonah is he knows who to talk to. And he knows who to cry out to. So he's talking to God and God hears him. And like I said, he sees that Jonah is going to do what he says he's going to do. And so God makes the, the fish spit him out onto dry land. And this is where we're going to pick the story back up. In chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So this time, in verse 3, Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great, exceedingly great city, of three days journey. So here we see that God, knowing what he wants done and knowing the person he wants to do it, picks that person, says do it, that person says no, and God doesn't say, okay, fine, you don't want to do it, fine, I'll, I'll get somebody else. He doesn't say that. No, he goes and he takes Jonah on a little journey and says, you're going to do what I want you to because I'm God and you're a man. And I've heard all of this talk, you know, growing up about uh, Deborah. She was a judge of Israel. I said, well, that's because God couldn't find any men to do it. Really? What about this story here in Jonah? Jonah didn't want to do it, so why didn't God just go find somebody else to do it? No, God has appointed his people to do the things he wants them to do. And for some reason, he's like really good at knowing what to do to get you to do the things that he wants you to do. And he even knows exactly how long it's going to take you to get to a certain point where you're willing to do what he wants you to do so that there's really no time lost. You know, you feel like there's time lost, but God knows exactly 
what it is that he wants you to do and he knows exactly how long it's going to take for you to be willing and able to do it. So in this story, you see a very powerful God who can move upon the waters of the sea, that can prepare a, a giant whale or fish or however you want to say it, is ready to come and swallow him up. And he does it in such a way that it preserves him for three nights and three days that you know, because most of us would drown, right? Yeah. Well, God preserved him. And then once he saw that this was ready to go, he brought him up and put him on the shoreline. And then he told him again, do what I said to do. So this time Jonah decides, hey, that, that, that time in the fish wasn't a lot of fun. Let's go do what God says to do. I said in verse 4, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he's coming, and he does what God tells him to do. And this is really a prophecy of destruction over Nineveh. And Nineveh is not a really great place. They're, they were doing really bad things in Nineveh. And God was really upset about it. We remember in the first part of the story, their wickedness had come up before him. So the problems that they had, their wickedness, was in the sight of God, and it was a trouble to him. So that he was going to judge the city. Now, I grew up all my life hearing about judgment. And there being this great judgment coming to the nations of the world. And one nation in particular that God was very, very displeased with. And that was America. And that God was going to throw America down and put it in such a place that the people would have to uh, eat squirrel faces and have to, you know, hunt for rabbits and, you know, because the things aren't going to be like it, it is in the, you know, there's not going to be supermarkets. And there were people even saying that there's concentration camps that they're going to come and get the Christians and all of this really crazy nonsense stuff. And I grew up with this, this fear about judgment over this country that I live in. And it was constantly on my mind. Because I, if you don't know, I grew up in a doomsday cult. And the world was coming to an end uh, in the year 2004 and a half. That God was setting his end time this message to come and tell us that this is the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel in 2004 and a half and the great tribulation is, is coming so that's the end of the world. The rapture is happening. Well, uh, if you don't know, this is the year 2022 that I'm recording this. So we've been here for a little extra time. And this group of people, their favorite thing to do is preach the doom and destruction of this nation that we were living in. I wondered all the time why it was just our nation that was being destroyed when if God is coming to judge the world, certainly the whole world is being uh, judged. So I grew up with this thought that any day now, it's all going to fall apart and we're not going to be able to get food. There's not going to be electricity. We're going to have to learn how to find water and all of this stuff. And it was a very scary and very depressing time to live. And I was 
about 11 years old when this kind of thought started happening uh, in this movement that I can remember. So time came and went, 2004 and a half, as we all know that you're listening to this, we know that we're still here. That wasn't a thing. It was a lie. And America wasn't judged. And it wasn't like people went, oh, shoo-wee, we're, oh, thank you, God. That was, that was close. You know, we were, we were doing really bad and that, that was close and you were, you were going to destroy us and thank you for not destroying us. No, they got angry. <laughs> they got mad. They said, no, the destruction of America is still coming. It's still coming. And every time something bad would happen in the news, like so every time the news was on, they would come to church and say, see, see, it's the end of the world. It's the end. The judgment of America. You can see it. It's right here in, in, in the newspapers. It's right there on CNN. Well, here's a thought. Maybe the bad things that are happening in this world are because Christians have run away from doing what they're supposed to do. Which is what God is telling them to do. We have all run away like Jonah. Especially those of us that were in this crazy doomsday message stuff. We ran away. And we said, the world is coming to an end. It's no, there's no time to help anybody else. We have to get right before God, so we're the ones that are chosen. So we took that and we completely ignored what the gospel taught us. And what the Bible said. Specifically that part where Jesus said, No man knoweth the day nor the hour. And the other part where he says, go into the world and preach the good news. Oh, that's not, that's not for our time. That's over with. We don't have enough time for all of that. Really? Sounds to me like you just buried your head in the sand and said, these problems are too big for me. I'm not going to do what God said. I'm going to do what I want to do. So, yeah, we went into the belly of the whale. And I lived in that whale belly. For years. But here's the thing. I came to a point about 15, 16 years ago. Really, it was longer than that. Just around 2005. You know, because you know, 2004 and a half was supposed to be it. Well, when 2005 showed up, I said, I don't really believe this, this thing about judgment of America. And I looked and I, and I, I was paying attention to the news and all this stuff. And yeah, don't get me wrong. There's stuff going on out there that I'm not really happy about either. But when you read history, you recognize that it's cyclical. Meaning that we go through periods, that there are times when people are doing good, good things are happening, times are good, and then we go through periods where people are bad and, and good things are not happening. And this, believe it or not, this day that we're living in is not the worst that it has ever been on this earth. If you go back to the time of Jesus... You'll see a much worse condition of people than what we have today. Yeah, I mean, there's true evil in this world. There really is. But still, it's not the worst that it has ever been. So as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of... You know, we don't really know what it was in the days of Noah, except for that all of their hearts were on evil continually. 
Now, I believe that there are a lot of people in this world that that's what they think about, is doing evil continually. But it isn't all. And I'm going to give you a testimony that happened, I think it was in the year 2014 or 2015. I'm not exactly sure. No, it must have been 2015, 2016. Because before that, we were getting uh, prophecies about how this certain woman was going to be the American president. And... uh, you know, that was coming straight from the mouth of God, and that is, thus saith the Lord, and, you know, get used to it, basically. Instead of, you know, hey, if you don't like this person that's running, go, you know, vote for the other guy. Get out and do your duty as an American. Go stand up for what you believe is right. No, don't do that. We don't have time for that. Let the world go by. You know, we can't we can't sit back and try to change it because God's already said he's going to judge this nation. And I remember messages being preached. Don't say God bless America because God wants to judge America. You can't be against God and say God bless America. I mean, it was ridiculous. So in this year, about 2015, I believe it was, some friends of mine came from another country and we all went to a concert. Now, the concert we went to, we wanted to see a certain person. And she was opening for the main act. And my friends from the other country, they didn't understand what that meant. That she comes on, she'll sing four songs, and then she'll disappear for the rest of the evening. And then we'll be sitting there for three hours listening to these other guys. They thought she would come back out and sing with them. Well, that's fine. So we go to the concert, and this main group is not really wasn't really great. Uh, I couldn't say that there was any talent there. I mean, there was definitely music, some musical talent. They could play instruments and they could sing, sort of. But there wasn't anything really special about them. Just a regular Christian group. And I was standing there because we we didn't get seats. We, we stood the whole time. I was standing there and I was looking around. This, by the way, was a, a big no-no in what I had grown up in. If you'd gone to a Christian concert uh, that wasn't uh, Southern Gospel, then you were, you know... There was something wrong with your heart. You had to repent and stuff. So I'm standing here at this this concert, and I'm looking around at all these people, and the place is packed. And, you know, there's standing room only. I'm looking around, and I'm like, what are you all doing here? This band is not that great. I remember one thing very vividly. They had this big LCD screen up behind them and there was one pixel that was green the whole night and it drove me insane. That's just, you know, part of my, who I am. So, (laughs) so I'm watching this group of people and I'm watching these thousands of people worship God. Now I had grown up in churches where the biggest church that I was a part of maybe had 150 people and then when we would have conventions that people came from other countries we'd be pretty packed and have 300 400 people and that was a lot but we believed that this was basically the entire bride of christ we were the end time saints we were the elect of god so i'm standing here looking at this building full of probably 20,000 people and they're all worshiping God. And I was dumbfounded. And God had been dealing with me about this judgment of America thing for several years. 
And God spoke to me. And he said, look around. How many people would I have saved Sodom and Gomorrah for? I said, that's right, God. How many people would it have taken for you to save God, Sodom and Gomorrah? Because Abraham asked. And he took it all the way down to, I believe the number was 10 people. Five or ten. It wasn't a lot. God couldn't find that many, so the city had to go. But he said, look around you. There are still many, many people in this country that are crying out to me sincerely in their heart. He said, I will not destroy a country that is crying out to me. Hey, our leaders... They're not doing great. We know that. But the people, there are many, many people right now that are reaching out to God and asking God to forgive them for their ways. And right then he showed me that this person that everybody was prophesying was going to be the president, the next president, wasn't going to be. And I just knew it. It's not that I had this great revelation or that I had this wonderful vision or anything. It was just 2 plus 2 equals that's not going to happen. So if, if God isn't going to destroy this country, he's not going to allow that to happen. But see, everybody was giddy and happy you could feel this excitement in the air in this message. Oh, it's happening. Oh, look, prophecy is being fulfilled. The nation is going to be destroyed. Oh, isn't God wonderful? It's ridiculous. And they were preaching, you got to get ready. Oh, we've had a dream. Oh, this is going to happen. Oh, the Large Hedron Collider is going to open a, a portal to hell. What? Hey, you don't believe me? Go looking for it. That message is out there. It's ridiculous. And it was ridiculous. But I'm sitting here and God's telling me that's not going to happen. There's no, I'm not going to destroy America. Not while there's this many people that are worshiping me. And then he said, go look at Jonah. And Jonah in this story, Jonah is not the hero of this story. In case you didn't already know this, Jonah is actually kind of a jerk. Say, well, he's a prophet of God. You can't talk that way about prophets. Really? Let's look at what he did. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. Jonah was being a little jerk. And God took the time to explain to him a few things. So if we go back to our story in, in Jonah, what's happening. So what Jonah comes and he declares, it says, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going we're gonna to blow you up. That's just the greatest thing ever. See, God's awesome. He's going to kill you all. What? So what happens next? So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. And put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robe off him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything lest let them not feed nor drink water 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? This was the reaction of the wicked city of Nineveh. Really bad, huh? Jonah comes and says, you're all going to die. And the people believe him and they say, wait a minute, God, no, we're sorry. Let's try, let's, we're change, we'll change, we'll do better, we promise. Help us. Even to the king. So what happens? And God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. So here in the story of Jonah, you see the true character of God, the character of mercy and grace. And this is Old Testament, y'all. Old Testament, you know, where God destroyed everything because he was upset all the time. They'd have you think that he was just constantly angry. This is Old Testament and God is showing mercy and grace to people that he previously said, You're I'm going to destroy you. You got 40 days. And this is something that people in doomsday cults and messages, they don't like it. They don't like to see the true character of God because they want to see the judgment come on America. They want to see the world fall. And you pay, you dirty, rotten people that don't believe in our prophet. We'll show you. Let me tell you something. I'll, I'll save that for later. But what's happening here is that the true character of God is showing forth. He comes and says, I'm going to destroy you. You say you'll change? Okay, never mind. I won't hurt you. That's what I wanted anyway. God is not the God of wrath. God is the God of love, compassion, mercy, grace, long-suffering. So really what this was is a warning to this city. Change what you're doing because you haven't escaped my notice. And he says he did it not. He, he turned from his way. But if we look in chapter 4, we're going to see really the attitude of a lot of people that I grew up around. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. It upset Jonah that God forgave him. And now we see why he, flew, he wanted to go to that land, that Tarshish place, why he fled out of the presence of God. He said, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. He said, I knew you would do this. I knew you'd be nice to these people. I knew you were a good God. Why'd you have to be such a good God now? Why couldn't you just blow them up? Like you said you were going to. Don't you think this is where it gets really interesting? Because therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. 
wow, that's a really big overreaction, man, for God not destroying a city. I don't want to live anymore. You didn't blow them up. I don't want to be a. I don't want to be here no more because you didn't. You didn't have any wrath on them. And this is I find interesting is God. This is the Lord said. Dost thou well to be angry? Is it right for you to act this way? Are you supposed to be angry because they didn't get blown up? And what's really interesting is Jonah, he doesn't answer God then. Jonah, it says in verse 5, says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. So what did Jonah do? After he got angry with God and God kind of asked him, are you, you know, you really want to act that way? He goes out and he waits and watches the city to see what's going to happen. God has just said, I'm I'm merciful and I, I repented of that. So he goes out of the city and he's sitting there and I bet you he's still sitting there going, but see, they did this. See, they did that. They're, they're, they're not really repenting. See, that's really, it's really going to happen. It's really going to blow up. You're really going to get destroyed. And I love this part of the story because it shows you what God is really, really like. It said, And the Lord prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah that he might be a shadow over his head and deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Now, in other translations, it just says plant. Basically, a plant grew up and made shade for him. It wasn't, you know, a gourd like we think a pumpkin. He does. God didn't make a pumpkin for him to live in. So what happens is God prepares this place of shelter for him that keeps him cool, and Jonah is very happy about this. He's he's happy. Oh look, this is that God did. Yes, look at this. But then this happens. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. So, wait a minute. You just made this thing so I could have shade. Now you're coming and taking it away. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, here's Jonah griping again. And, jo- and God said unto Jonah, Dost thou, be, dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? Okay, now you're angry about the plant? I destroyed the plant. I rose this beautiful plant and I destroyed it. Now you're angry about that now? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. So it is right for me to be angry at you. I, I even want to die for it. And this is where we get the point that God is trying to make to Jonah and everybody else. He says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on a gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest, it to grow, which came up in a night and perisheth in a night? And should I not spare Nineveh, the, that great city, 
wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? Saying, Jonah, you, t you cared more about this plant that came up and gave you shade. You cared more about it than you did for this whole city of people. And God is saying that this city of people is precious to him because he made it. He labored for it. You don't think so? Read Genesis. I'm pretty sure he did. He said, there are more than six score thousand persons. That's 120,000. That was a pretty good sized city back then. That's a lot of people. Shouldn't we rejoice when people come to the Lord and they say, oh God, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know. Let me do better. He's, God says they can't discern their right hand from their left hand. But he that's what he's there for. What good did it do Jonah to get angry? The city was still fine. At least at the end of this story. The point is that there is hope in the world today that you call out to God and he answers you. And yes, there are tough times in the world today. There have always been hard times in the world. It is no more evil today than it was a hundred years ago. You just have more ability to see more things. And if you go back into the Greco-Roman times, in Greece, the best relationship you could have was with young boys. Most countries, that's illegal now. So you see, in all of those times, they really did worship pagan gods openly. Sure, there's a lot of pagans today, but they, they keep it under wraps for the most part. You have to understand something. You were lied to by a man. He had visions of terrible things happening to this country because this was the last of the last days. <gasps> but it isn't. George Washington's vision, it's a hoax. The same man who wrote George Washington's vision also wrote General McClellan's dream around the same time. It was all a narrative about the Civil War. And I would caution you from listening to people out there that have these dreams about Terrible things that are coming in the world. These doomsayers. You're a child of God. You don't need to worry about that. Do you understand me? God's wrath isn't for you. Yes, there were plagues in Egypt, but in Goshen they had light, they had water. They weren't overrun with frogs. God knows how to take care of his people. 
the fun thing about God is that when he blesses his people, he blesses the entire world. But when he judges the world, he doesn't judge his people. You say, well, there are hard times. Yes, there are hard times. But we're not going out hunting for squirrel faces. We're not going to live off the scratching of rocks. This isn't... <laughs> there is no great judgment coming other than what is shown in the end, the actual end, when God comes and judges the whole world. America doesn't get a special judgment. So take heart. Look to God because there is hope. It might be hard right now. Believe me, I understand. The times are rough right now. But for the most part, you still got lights. You still got a car. You still got food. God is still God. That's the most important thing. And you've got God. So you don't need to worry about this. Hey, the word says he will never see his children begging bread. Are you going to trust the word of God? Or are you going to listen to some man-made hysteria Because I'm going to tell you this. You will waste your life away looking for the judgment of America. You will waste your time looking for that great fall. It's not coming. Don't be Jonah. Basically, that's the whole point of the book of Jonah. God says, don't be like Jonah. First of all, when God tells you to do something, do it right away. Second of all, when God does something awesome and great and forgives an entire city and says, I'm not going to destroy you, don't get mad about it. Because you wanted to see some destruction. And I've heard some rumors about myself. And they're just rumors. But I hope this kind of explains and expresses why they're just rumors. Because I've never subscribed, at least since 2005, I've not subscribed to this idea of this great judgment that's coming on people. Because, why? Because God told me it wasn't happening. So, oh, it's bad now. It's, it's worse this year than it was last year. Yeah, it is. But that doesn't mean the next year won't be better. And if there's a problem and you don't like it, get out there and do something about it. Do something about it. You know, we have laws in, in our country that, I don't know who all is listening to this, but in our country, you know, you can vote, you can go to town meetings, you can do all these things, you can stand up for what's right, you can stand up for what you believe in, but what you shouldn't do is say, well, God's going to judge it anyway, so there's no point. Because really what you're doing is you're saying, I want God to judge it, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit back and wait for him to destroy it all. You say, oh, that's not right. It is, because I've heard you say it. I've heard you preach it. People, there's hope. There's hope in God. This isn't the end. 
This can be the beginning for you. I hope that this little episode has helped you in some way to see how somebody can go from being really messed up like me to really understanding who God is. Because when you're in that message, you don't really see the picture of who God truly is because you're looking through the lens of some person, some preacher, and they tell you who God is, and they're generally wrong, almost exclusively wrong about who God is. So look at what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. Not, not the destruction, but look at what God said before that. How many it would have taken for him to save it. And then look here at Nineveh. What the people did. They repented and then so did God. And look at our own time. There are many, many Christians out there that are calling out to God. And many people that weren't Christians are calling out to God and they're coming to God. I don't think that this is the last days. I don't think that this is the like it was in the times of Noah. Because if you look at the times of Noah, it was just him and his family that got on that boat. I don't think we'd have enough boats in the world right now for all the Christians to fit in. All the sincere people that are trying to live for God. And how dare you Sit in your own high little mansion on your tower and say, I am the elite of God. I am a part of the bride. I am the very elect. We are the special ones. And those people don't know what we know, so they can't be special. If that's your attitude... You're worse off than Nineveh. Because you won't even ask God for forgiveness. 